Good afternoon, it's Monday the 20th of July 2020, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us northern exposure from north of the border, of course. Um, well, we're starting off, Brian, with Russiagate UK, which uh, continues to build. Uh, and let's uh, just remind ourselves about Friday. This is Friday's uh, news. Russian spies target coronavirus vaccine. This came from uh, the National Cybersecurity Center, along with uh, other international partners in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, and what were they saying? That they assessed that APT Apt 29, also named the Dukes or Cozy Bear, almost certainly operate as part of Russian intelligence services, that their campaign of malicious activity is ongoing, predominantly against government, diplomatic, think tank, healthcare, and energy targets to steal uh, valuable intellectual property. Uh, and the NCSC has previously warned that Apt groups have been targeting organizations uh, involved in both national and international COVID-19 responses. Known targets include US, uh, UK, US and Canadian vaccine research and development organizations. The group uses a variety of tools and techniques, including spear phishing and custom malware known as WellMess and WellMail. Uh, they're 95% confident that the attacks uh, we investigated came from NCSC. That's according to the National Cybersecurity Center. Dominic Rabb piled into the conversation. It's completely unacceptable that the Russian intelligence services are targeting those working to combat the coronavirus pandemic. Um, well, uh, yesterday then, Andrew Marr on the BBC uh, decided that he would have a go, not just at the Russians, but also at the Chinese. So he, he began with uh, China, Hong Kong, uh, China, the Uyghurs. Uh, and uh, well, this was the result. Uh, the Chinese ambassador saying it's Western countries headed up by the United States that started this new Cold War on China. Uh, we do not provoke, but once provoked, we have to make a response. Uh, that seemed like a reasonable position, but nonetheless, uh, Andrew Marr then uh, went on to attack the uh, the uh, Russian ambassador, um, and uh, he was talking about the vaccine hack. He said, I don't believe in this story at all. There's no sense in it. He went on to talk about the fact that Russian companies or a Russian company has a commercial agreement with AstraZeneca uh, to help produce part of this vaccine. So why on earth would they be involved in trying to hack uh, secrets on this? It was it was nonsense. Uh, but uh, uh, if we welcome David to the program, David, uh, the highlight came uh, when Andrew Marr decided that he would uh, ask about uh, election interference. So let's just briefly listen to uh, what he had to say. Let me turn to what Dominic Raab, our Foreign Secretary, said this week. Is it true that Russia interfered in the 2019 British general election? What about your interest in Scotland? Are you, as a, a government, interested in the cause of Scottish nationalism? Uh, so, so, David, uh, the... the, the point that Marr was making, or suggesting there, uh, was that the, that the, the uh, independence referendum, that the uh, Russian government was involved in stoking up the drive for independence because they were wanting to see the UK split up? That's the allegation, right? The pesky Russians were piling in on the side of the nasty nationalists and they were seeking to destroy the integrity of the UK. Now, this was reported in the Scotsman, um, and the response uh, from the, the Russian ambassador was recorded. He says Russia has no interest in Scottish independence. He says our interest in Scotland is only one. We're open for business. And um, 
the, the comment here from the Scotsman, the latest claims of common in a book by Guardian's former Moscow correspondent, Luke Harding, who said that Vladimir Putin was a classic KGB opportunist who can sniff out weakness and tries to exploit divisions or conflicts within our own societies, including over Scottish independence. Quote, he's been doing quite well at corroding and undermining Western democracies from the outside. One of the funniest comments I have heard in a long time, because clearly the problem with Western democracies is that they are being corroded um, from the inside. We look at our universities, we look at our political system, and we see the corrosion. We don't need external threats at this point. Um, the Express uh, also picked up in the story, however, uh, and they're saying um, uh, Russia accused of meddling in the Scottish independence to try and help the SNP's independence bid. Now, this rung a bell with me because I was thinking, wait a minute, we've reported on this before. In fact, I'm sure we have, I'm sure we've covered this, and I had a little look, and sure enough, we had. Back in 2017, we covered this story. The SNP claims that Russia is likely to have interfered in the referendum. So here you see how how slippery Putin is because he's now he's now supporting the unionist side and he's he's thwarting the nationalists with um, well how is he doing this? Uh, the 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 Herald goes on and I would point out that it's David Leask who is one of the Integrity Initiative's paid reporters, right? That's the man who's saying this. The SNP warned it would be naive to assume Russia was not meddling in Scotland after the mayor's pro-Kremlin internet trolls fueled claims the independence referendum was rigged. Experts long regarded fake news of irregularities in 2014 vote first made by Moscow-based state news agency as a textbook example of Russian attempts to destabilize the West. Now, researchers uncovered huge push by social media accounts, which usually support Vladimir Putin, to share videos and links amplifying the inaccurate Scottish stories. So here's the SNP standing up to say, no, 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 we lost fair and square. These nasty Russians are suggesting otherwise. And who exactly is saying this? Well, it's none other than your friend of mine, Stuart MacDonald, MP. Right Now, he, he's the man who, who sounds like a, a, a Scottified recording of... Um, uh, of Chris Donnelly of the of Integrity Initiative fame, and who takes briefings from Rusi, and who is who is completely against the Russians, and uh, he said uh, we know that the Russian government is engaged in a campaign of undermining confidence in and the stability of democratic institutions and instruments across the world. It'd be naive to think that Scotland was immune. So back in 2017, the SNP were saying, yeah, the Russians have been hacking our independence movement to damage it somehow. Um, and then that one didn't work. So we wait three years, we wait till everyone's forgotten, and we run the same story, but we just switch sides. Now the Russians are hacking to promote Scottish independence. Um, you, you, you would think you couldn't make it up, but perhaps you can. Uh, well, somebody did, and it's, it is incredible. <laughs> it is incredible, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. So let's uh, remind ourselves, of course, uh, Russiagate UK. Uh, this is uh, from last week. The uh, Intelligence and Security Committee of Parliament is going to release the, their report, Russia, next week. Well, that's this week, of course, they're going to do that. Um, so that's the context of the world we're in, everything that David's discussed there, plus the fact that this Russia report is coming out this week. And then, lo and behold, uh, yesterday, Carol Kabbalah, who, of course, also Integrity Initiative, pushes out this 
rather well she did read she did tweet after this that she must have been asleep or something when she wrote this because it's full of mistakes but nonetheless this is what she said so you now know so you know that the new joint biosecurity center is being set up in the cabinet office under govan cummings uh, uh look what else being transferred there uh, the head of security vetting the role being moved from ministry of defense to be closer to number 10 why now that i'm going to admit is a very good question but i'm going to absolutely question why she is asking it because uh, there's something else going on here so here is the job advertisement uh, on the uh, uh, the gov.uk website civil service jobs chief executive united kingdom security vetting uh, about this job so it's being moved they acknowledge here that it's being moved from the ministry of defense into the cabinet office uh, and uh, well this created has created all kinds of twitter furore all kinds of uh, uh, problems all kinds of rhetoric uh, about dominic cummings um, and uh, uh, this is uh, one of the things that featured in some of the vitriol uh, further inquiries uh, should be sent to a company uh, called uh, Maloney Maloney uh, recruitment research, research yes yeah. so this is a recruitment firm uh, here they are here here's their website our success is driven by a rigorous approach to research they're basically uh, a headhunting firm so Maloney search is an international executive search and advisory boutique specializing in headhunting high caliber executives and non-executives we advise our partners in business uh, and the public sector on their human capital agenda now uh, one of the things that uh, that was going around Twitter this morning uh, was that one of the directors of this is a lady called Dr. Marisa Claire Hughes-Smith. And they were making the point uh, that she is also the director of this organization, uh, the Cambridge Code, which uh, is being described as also about recruitment, but it's using AI and technology. And the implication is to uh, link this to Cummings. Uh, and, and this is proof therefore that Cummings is uh, subverting everything at the moment now but this is really interesting because David uh, the point here is the suggestion is from people that that moving uh, the, this role into the cabinet office and using this particular company to select uh, this person implies cabinet office control but the truth is that the connections with uh, Maloney Research go back a long way. And on their website, in one of their blog posts, they're making the point that Dr. Curly Maloney wrote the Cabinet Office Recruitment Guidelines. He didn't write them this year. He didn't write them this month. He, this, this blog post was from 2013. So there's been a long-standing connection between uh, this company, Maloney, uh, and the Cabinet Office. And so the question then is, Who's actually driving this move from the Ministry of Defence into the Cabinet Office? Was this something that began actually quite some time ago? And I'm not suggesting you know the answer to that, but I mean, it's, it's a question that needs to be asked. And the question does need to be asked, why is it going into the Cabinet Office? Well, I mean, these are both very good questions. Why, why do you want security vetting control by the Cabinet Office? It does seem to be yet more centralisation of power. Everything's held in one place. Um, and... Again, we're seeing the MOD very much playing second fiddle um, to, to the Cabinet Office and all things defence. So all power is coming towards the centre, which is never a good thing. Um, the fact that this link goes back to 2013 does suggest that this is a long-established policy, a long-established relationship, and that uh, Mr. Sedwell and his predecessor 
uh, other people we look to for this policy. And we have to remember the concentration of power into the cabinet office has been a problem and a policy now for what, a decade? I mean, it's been going on for quite a while. Um, so it, it's, it seems odd that they're trying to pin it all on Cummings at, the, at this particular juncture uh, when it's been the settled policy for some time. Right. Well, we'll come on to that in a second. I'm interested to get uh, Brian's uh, thoughts on this. Um, well, I'm just picking up on the date there. 2013, right, three years away from 2010. 2010, of course, was the Mindspace document where they'd already brought in the Behavioural Insights team alongside the Cabinet Office. And you were looking at using applied psychology on people, including people in the civil service and wider government. So that was all in place. And um, this, to me, seems to follow along with that, that earlier agenda. And also, we should remember that David Cameron, when he came into power, said very early on that anybody who was going to get any position of power and or influence within the Conservative Party would be given a Briggs-Meyer personality assessment. So with David Cameron's you know, the start of his administration, we were clearly looking at this very, very tight control on people, their behaviour and uh, recruiting. OK, so with all that uh, taken into into account, um, of course, what we've got here is a, a, a narrative being built, China being a problem, Russia being a problem, uh, ch particularly Chinese interference in British politics and Russian interference in British politics. And as we've just highlighted, uh, this all comes back to the Integrity Initiative, and let's just remind ourselves of the UK government's propaganda uh, network. Now, Integrity Initiative itself uh, was thoroughly discredited, hopefully uh, with a, a large amount of input from the UK column uh, in that discrediting. Um, and uh, it's been replaced with other organisations. But nonetheless, the people that were involved with Integrity, Integrity Initiative are still working in the mainstream press and still pumping out their material, which brings us then to Russiagate in the United States, and a reminder just of all the Queen's men, because the key players here, uh, Christopher Steele and Richard Dearlove, absolutely front and centre in what's going on in the UK and Russiagate UK side as well, uh, because Richard Dearlove just producing a, a dossier recently on the Chinese, uh, sorry, uh, Christopher Steele producing that do dossier, and Richard Dearlove making multiple face-to-face uh, -face interview appearances on mainstream press. So uh, this operation that we've seen in the United States over the last few years seems to be working as hard as it can in the UK to pull off the same kind of gag. Uh, and of course, Andrew Marr absolutely attempted to attack the Russian ambassador with uh, the Skripal saga once again. Um, and uh, well, <laughs> despite the fact that there was a pre-agreement on to what degree they would discuss that, uh, Andrew Marr kept attempting to push deeper and deeper into it. Nonetheless, uh, these are the same players once again. Now, on Friday, something very significant happened, and that was the Senate Judiciary Committee in the United States released a declassified transcript of the FBI's interview of uh, Christopher Steele's primary source. Uh, and Lindsey Graham, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, was commenting. He has seen this uh, uh, declassified transcript. He was commenting on it. He said, uh, this document not only demonstrates how unsubstantiated and unreliable the Steele dossier was, uh, but it also shows that the FBI was on notice of the dossier's credibility problems and saw two more 
visa application renewals after gaining this awareness. So this is significantly being uh, discredited. Uh, but he goes on, and it gets even worse. The document reveals that the primary source of Steele's election reporting was not some well-connected current or former Russian official, as the mainstream press was claiming for years, including the British mainstream press, but was a non-Russian-based contract employee of Christopher Steele's firm, Orbis Business Intelligence. So Christopher Steele used somebody within his own organization as the primary source for the material which went into the dodgy dossier against Donald Trump, uh, and that has now come out. So if this doesn't put the final nail in the coffin of that thing, uh, then I'm not sure what will. But more importantly, it needs to put a final nail in the coffin of this group of people, uh, Christopher Steele, Richard Dearlove, uh, also uh, Sir Andrew Wood and Sir John Sawyers, uh, who were uh, also pushing this extremely hard. Um, and uh, critically, Lindsey Graham says, the document shows that Steele's primary subsource disagreed with and was surprised by how information he gave Steele was then conveyed by Steele in the Steele dossier. Now, Christopher Steele didn't say this, but I'm sure if he was asked, this is more or less what he, what he would have said. Oops, um, this is a bit uh, difficult for him. It gets worse uh, because Bill Binney uh, is now um, about to hold a press release. We'll come on to that in a second. He's made a statement on this. Uh, and again, making the point, Bill Binney, of course, formerly National Security Agency, saying we can prove that the data in the, that WikiLeaks published from the, uh, the DNC, uh, all of that carried the signatures of being downloaded to a thumb drive or a CD-ROM and physically transported. In other words, not a hack by the Russians. Uh, I put that in sworn affidavits that I submitted to the Roger Stone case and also the General Flynn case, and the judges would not let my testimony in. Uh, I've been hard-pressed to find anything Russia did in the 2016 election, let alone anything, let alone anything they're trying to do in the 2020 election. Uh, and just to let everybody know, he is going to be holding a press conference uh, this, on Thursday this week at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You can find that on the Schiller Institute website. Uh, I suggest people watch that. But David, uh, this whole steel apparatus, which includes uh, the Foreign Office's counter-disinformation and media development program, the Integrity Initiative, and everything else that has uh, gone on around that, has got to be seen as being completely discredited at this point. And therefore, anything which these people uh, have said in the UK, including the, the evidence that Steele gave to the uh, Intelligence Committee, which is going to appear in this Russia report to be released this week, this can't stand. No, this, this whole Russia thing is based on what exactly? The actual hard facts, what have we got? Well, Russia had a TV channel called Russia Today, and they, they had different views, and they put these different views uh, in, on the air. And, and some people watched them and thought they, were, they had some substance to them and thought it was actually better than the BBC coverage. And it was Sputnik doing the same. And th that's it. Is that what we've got? They, they, they've had some media commenting on the election and, and speaking some things that, frankly, the authorities in Britain and America would prefer weren't said. That, that, as far as I can tell, that's the substance of the Russiagate hacking scandal, that, that Russia has been breaking some of the um, media blackout that, that the West now has to labour under. Uh, absolutely. Yep. So. 
the key thing here, if we keep this really simple, we are seeing a huge amount of noise about Russia and China. What is that noise being used to cover up? And who are the people who are the people actually running government at the moment? So, uh, Mike, you're putting up a lot of names and faces. Some of our regular viewers may know who those people are. But to the average person out there in the wider British public, they really have no idea who these people are. And yet these are the people with immense power to run government. So, David, I think we're back on the subject of the government of occupation. Who is actually running this country at the moment? It's almost impossible to see. Well, the, 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 the government of occupation was a, was a phrase that came out of the actual assault that people experience when they try to raise problems with the government. It behaves like a government of occupation. And it does so in all its aspects, local authorities, the Scottish government, the Westminster government, it, it doesn't really matter. There's this deep evil that comes out of it. Now, how that got there is one question. And, and, and the people in charge who allow this to happen, whatever colour, party, rosette they're wearing, doesn't seem to matter, that just allow this to go on. Yes, who are they? What do they know? What do they believe? What are they trying to achieve? And who are they taking instructions from? Because there must be somebody. And it's not the, the ideas and and, and, and innovations and, and, and policies. They're not coming from just within that, the cabinet or the, or the small group of people advising the cabinet. They're coming from other places and we're never told. We sometimes suss some of this out, comes from the UN, comes from UNESCO, comes from uh, World Health Organization and all these sorts of organizations and, and tax exempt foundations. But as far as the government's concerned, we're not meant to know any of this. It's all concealed. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Now, if if uh, if Russiagate was was about dealing with Trump, which it absolutely failed to do, David, my question is: uh, Is Russia uh, the Russiagate UK about dealing with Boris and and the and perhaps the headline uh, the headline in the Express here gives us a clue? This is their Brexit Live today. Dominic Cummings sends panic through the EU with plot for pure no deal Brexit. Now, of course, I'm taking this with a big punch, pinch of salt that, that it's being put at his his door again. But the point here, what they're saying is the Prime Minister's chief advisor is driving uh, a tough approach with UK negotiators and sticking firmly to their red lines and not offering a compromise in talks, according to EU insiders speaking to The Sun. Brussels diplomats fear he's destroying any hopes of Mr Johnson quickly wrapping up post-Brexit trade deal with the bloc. Several sources have also told the newspaper uh, there's increasing concern. Vote leave supporters uh, in the Prime Minister's inner circle are pushing for a pure no-deal scenario. Um, so uh, they're, they highlight Oliver Lewis, who they're saying is a close ally of Cummings. Uh, and they're saying that uh, Lewis, uh, who's Johnson's no-deal uh, no Brexit advisor, uh, they're calling him the political commissar. Um, but UK officials, they say, are attempting to play down the impact the pair are having on talks and insist they're just being uh, realistic about the kind of go uh, deal the government can get through the House of Commons. So my question is, is this, is what we're seeing here some kind of deep state operation? A, to deal with Trump on one side of the Atlantic. And of course, the timing of this is very interesting because we're coming into the, the US election cycle uh, in anger. And B, to try to deal with Brexit uh, once and for all and get Brexit back off the table again. Is that what's going on? And if that is what's going on, 
bearing in mind how unsuccessful Russiagate was in the United States, can these guys not come up with something better? That's an excellent question. The fact that they're running the same lame stuff, and now we're just going to pin it all on China as well. It's, it, there's no, there's no, there's nothing new in it. They're taking the same things that didn't work, the same allegations that didn't stick, that were based on nothing, and and just running it again. Well, it's been six months. The the, the people are stupid. They'll have forgotten. They'll believe it this time. It's unbelievable. Um, now the possibility that this is actually a deep state operation is very interesting if a genuine no-deal clean break with the EU is being discussed, because the implications of that economically are reasonably minor, because free, free trade, we can go on trading, it's not really an issue. But geopolitically, and, in, and especially in terms of defence, the implications are profound, because it would, it would mean that there was no easy way to surreptitiously tie the UK back into EU Defence Union by some backdoor route. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it would. Thoughts? It's complicated. I think we're all going to have to dig a lot deeper before we can actually see what's really happening on the chessboard. But uh, I come back to the smoke screen. We can't see what's happening at the moment because of the noise. You can be sure that what's happening is bad for the country because they don't want people to know about it. Mm. So this government of occupation, whoever the key people are, is doing something extremely dirty. I think that's absolutely right. Now, if you like what the column's doing, you'd like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. There are options to help us out there and your help much needed, much appreciated. Where does that take us? Well, it takes us to more of the smokescreen, really, Mike, and it has to be this. The pantomime continues over face masks. And thank you very much to the person who said, have you seen the little clip on Sky News? So who's this lady, Kay Burley? Um, she was interviewing um, your favourite gentleman. Whose name escapes you? Gavin Williams. Yeah, Williamson. Williamson, sorry. Yeah. And... Uh, well, you know, we'd, I'll just put a little bit in here. She, she starts off by saying that she's got her snood in her hand, which is a former scarf thing. Uh, my question is from Friday, do I need to wear this when I go to Pret for a takeaway coffee? I spoke to the health secretary. He said I do. The Downing, Downing Street said I don't. Uh, then the business sec secretary says, well, it depends. So she was pretty crunchy. And uh, poor old Gavin was uh, just appalling. He said that his understanding, there was a lot of stuttering and bluster. My understanding is that you don't have to, but we all have our face masks. And the most important thing, if you have one, is to use it. But use common sense. Uh, you haven't absolutely got to wear it. So he was very, very unsure of what was going on here. Uh, can, I, can I just ask, do you think that, that this is any more than uh, the behavioural uh, scientists advice being implemented here because by putting out this confusing information to everybody some people are going to assume that they've got to wear face masks some people are going to assume that they don't have to wear face masks that yeah. inevitably is going to bring people together in a confined location one one pro one against yeah. and conflict is going to result so you've got everything here you've got confusion chaos stress breakdown and antagonism creeping up as yeah. people are running around like headless chickens. So this is a malevolent policy. We know where it's coming from, the Behavioural Insights team, and through SAGE with respect to COVID. 
but we've got a smoke screen going on with the Russians and the Chinese and we've got the country being brought into a pantomime chaos. This is not accidental. We've been challenging it and uh, last couple of days we said that uh, this was just one of the organisations that we challenged, masks for all. So we're asking where their medical risk assessment is for the fact that they're promoting everybody to be wearing face masks and putting up pathetic embedded video clips where they're trying to simulate the spread of a virus by using a squeegee bottle. I mean, this is just, you can't even say it's suitable for small children's television. Now we've got 38 degrees running a campaign to get people wearing face masks and 38 degrees boasts that its staff are working with experts to design masks that all of us can wear and they want you to choose from options. Now we spoke to them this morning, very nice lady on the phone, but uh, we didn't get through to the key people. So we've sent an email to them asking exactly the same thing. Have you carried out a me medical risk assessment looking at the risk of uh, reduction in oxygen and uh, more CO2 as a result of wearing a face mask? And my prediction is we will not get an answer from them, but we will see and we'll report it. Now, this is serious because I'm going to say that um, Charity Asthma UK uh, is taking this aspect of the face mask and what it does to your breathing and oxygen levels very seriously. Um, you can go on their site and you go to that section, Shielding Advice for High Risk Groups, and you will see them talking very sensibly about some of the problems. But even they admit they're getting absolutely no support from the government. And it seems that the government is we simply don't care what the damage is. Um, but Asthma UK has stood up to be counted because you can download an exemption certificate off the website if you've got breathing problems. Now, how are you going to get on presenting that? in a shop or something, I have no idea. But how serious is this business? Very serious, because have a look at this. Uh, we've had an email sent in. Now, this has been sent out by a viewer to their MP, and they are challenging um, over the dangers of face masks. I'll read some of this as quickly as I can. With my increasing years, I've found myself suffering more and more from asthma and respiratory problems. I've tried putting on a mask. I immediately found that it was not good for my breathing. So realizing that wearing one was going to be compulsory in all shops and enclosed spaces a week on Friday, I today approached my local health center to ask for an exemption letter. So if I challenged, I could produce, uh, I could prove my legitimate reason for not wearing a mask or covering. And this is the killer point. I was truly amazed and indeed exasperated when I was told that the doctors I see have been specifically instructed by the NHS hierarchy not to write any exemption orders at all for people with medical conditions. This is how dirty this has got. So the caring organisation that we're supposed to be producing masks for for 38 degrees doesn't care if you've got respiratory problems. And the email went on, and this is, I like because somebody's done their own research here. When we go and look at medical papers, and they've got a quote from that medical paper. The foregoing data show, show, show that masks serve as more, sorry, more as instruments of obstruction of normal breathing rather than as effective barriers to pathogens. Therefore, masks should not be used by the general public, either by adults or children, and their limitations as prophylaxis against pathogens should also be considered in 
uh, medical settings. So, Mike, this is immensely dangerous. We've now got a care system that is openly saying we just don't care whether you're going to suffer further medical problems and injury as a result of this crass pantomime of wearing a mask. Well, indeed, that was their approach whenever with care homes as well. We don't care whether we're sending somebody that's infected with the illness into a care home. Uh, without any medical support, yep. uh, just so long as they get out of the hospital, because the hospital, we've been told from on high, needs to reorient for COVID only, and everything else can be forgotten about. We don't care if you've got cancer and need support and need treatment, uh, because we're reorienting towards uh, COVID. We don't care if you've got any other underlying health condition, uh, or if you're having a stroke or a heart attack die in your home seems to have been the position of the and NHS. Save, save us some money, save us the problem, save us the money, go away and die. And uh, that's the mentality which we are seeing coming to power under the smokescreen of this political agenda. David, this is immensely dangerous where this country's got to. And I think a lot more of the public have got to start to be asking the right questions and putting their foot down. They're not having it. With where the world's got to, because remember, this is global. Um, I saw a report of two um, two children in China who, who died um, due to mask wearing whilst uh, undertaking uh, exercise, running, and they, they dropped dead. Um, so that, that was certainly reported in the, in, the, in the media here within the last week. Um, just how much harm is this going to do people? Uh, it could be very substantial. And of course, when it comes to uh, the autumn and onset of regular winter flu, what's your immune system going to be like under these sorts of demands? Of course, nobody knows. Nobody's saying, indeed. No. Well, the answer is the questions and keep demanding of the British government, Boris Johnson and his lackeys, where is the medical risk assessment which says the masks are safe? Because the evidence we are seeing, the medical evidence is showing that they're absolutely not safe, especially for people, of course, with other medical conditions. Um, David, you mentioned UNESCO earlier. Uh, this is the Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights. Yes, we've often been very critical of what UNESCO put out, but this one is actually rather good. Um, it, it, the intro uh, reads, in October 2005, the General Conference of UNESCO adopted by acclamation the Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights. For the first time in the history of bioethics, member states committed themselves and the international community to respect and apply the fundamental principles of bioethics set forth in a single text. And what, uh, what did that text go on to say? Well, it was really very interesting and very relevant for mask wearing. Is what it said is any preventative diagnostic and therapeutic medical intervention is only to be carried out with the prior free and informed consent of the person concerned based on adequate information. The consent, consent should, where appropriate, be expressed and may be withdrawn by the person concerned at any time and for any reason without disadvantage and or prejudice. Any preventative measure. So that would be masks. Con consent can be withheld or withdrawn without any disadvantage. So that would be you're still allowed to do your shopping. So what I'm suggesting here is the entire mask policy is an open contravention of Article 6 
of the Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights. Okay, and that then takes us to uh, uh, a new outbreak in Motherwell. Oh, it takes us to comedy gold. I'm sorry for the people who are maybe ill, but I find this so deeply hilarious. Coronavirus outbreak investigated at Motherwell Contact Tracing Centre. Yeah, I'm not making this up. Six people have tested positive for coronavirus in an outbreak at a test and trace call centre. Citadel, which carries out contact tracing for NHS England, said it was aware of a local outbreak at its Motherwell site. Deputy First Minister John Swinney told BBC Radio's Good Morning Scotland the call centre had been closed. He said extensive contact tracing was underway. I'm sorry, it's just... <laughs> It's it's so funny that that's that's what's happened, um, and the the ridiculousness of the response is starting to crop up. It's starting to become apparent to more and more people. So even even the Times, which has hardly been the great defender of liberty this time round, is starting to run articles are saying, "Look, this is this is just ridiculous. What are we doing?" So this is one by uh, Camilla Long entitled Lighten Up Face Mask Nazis. I was having my nails done, not filing my way out of jail. So she describes sitting in a, in a nail salon um, and a phone goes and the owner answered and froze and then shrieked, Brent! And the staff panicked and began running around. And she didn't know what was going on. And it transpires that what was going on was Brent Council's and face mask inspectors have been spotted in the high street and they were coming and all the shops were letting one another know so they wouldn't be harassed and fined by Brent Council's face mask Nazis. Uh, so she goes and describes this bizarre scene and she's wondering why we as a nation put up with this. Uh, and she came up with a phrase which I thought did rather sum up where we're at. Um, she said, when, when all this is over, there will be a great reckoning of who said and did what in the great COVID dementia of 2020. And, you know, I think that's how it's going to be seen. Uh, absolutely. As, lo as long as we force that day of reckoning, that's the key thing, David, because it's going to take many, many hundreds of thousands of people. That's, that's the level we've got to get to trigger this, to take the lid off this nonsense as to what's happening. If we don't do it, then we're going to have a government of occupation that can simply carry on making the law up as it goes along, and we are going to be in dire straits. And just to finish off, I've got a little meme here from the internet, which often puts it very succinctly, very beautifully. And here you go. I'm going to the store. Do you want anything? Uh, says the man dressed for the apocalypse. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Brian, where does that take us? Well, with a, with a bit of an eye on the time, I think we just need to have a look at this. This is the BBC back on uh, effectively promotion of uh, vaccines. So there we are. UK government signs a deal. Um, but uh, language is instantly of interest. Promising. These are the promising coronavirus vaccines. Remember that statement. Um, the vaccines are being researched by this alliance, BioNTech and Pfizer, as well as Laneva. 
And uh, we've just got more and more of these companies coming into the feeding trough because, of course, there's billions of pounds. The New Deal is on top of 100 million doses of Oxford University. So a bit quick there. However, it's still uncertain which of the experimental vaccines may work. So now we're back from promising we're into uncertainty. And these are experimental and they are going to be asking for a lot more members of the public to help the experiments by allowing themselves to be used as guinea pigs. Um, but the vaccine is widely seen as the best chance of getting our lives back to normal. Where does that statement come from in the BBC and where's the evidence to back it up? Well, there isn't any at all. This is just the BBC promoting the vaccine industry. Some can provoke an immune response, but none has yet been proven to protect against infection. So is there a hint the BBC is now getting caught up in its own knickers no. really as it goes through the story? Well, the headline is the only bit that people like. I'm saying they're pumping out the pro-vaccine stuff. And who do we find coming up in the article? Kate Bingham. Now, she's the chair of the government vaccine task force. We, some of you may have forgotten about that. But that was set up fairly early on in the COVID thing. And uh, she said that the fact that we have so many promising candidates, she's talking about potential future vaccines, already shows the unprecedented pace at which we're moving. But I urge against being complacent or over optimistic. The fact remains we may never get a vaccine. And if we do get one, we have to be prepared that it may not be a vaccine which prevents getting the virus, but rather one that reduces symptoms. David, I'm going to ask just to comment on that because we could be taking, you know, a little pill of something or other. Well, we could be having a wee drammy and some lemon and honey, couldn't we, to get rid of it? Uh, but, well, it's going to be a worldwide vaccine, but it's going to get rid of, it's going to get rid of symptoms. I'm sorry, I, I, I had to. Thanks for, for covering while I laughed there. This is ridiculous. It might be a vaccine, it won't stop you getting the disease. But it'll still uh, really that's our that's our position. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna inject you with something. That's a, that's a given. That's a, that's a given. So let's follow that story. That's, that's another matter. <laughs> right. So you've heard her latest statement. That's what I've just given you from the BBC. But if we jump back to the 16th of May, this one came out on the government's own web page. Uh, she she. Uh, Sorry, the government was saying, first of all, that our immediate aim on vaccines is twofold to ensure that everyone in the UK that needs to be vaccinated against COVID-19 can be as soon as practicable. Secondly, to ensure adequate global distribution of vaccines to bring the quickest possible end to the pandemic and the economic and social damage. Unless, of course, you're Chinese or Russia and we don't want it to go to you. No, no, absolutely yeah. not. So... Let's uh, bring in the comment by Matt Hancock, because he said at the time, we're determined to harness the UK's world leading scientists and institutions to discover and develop a vaccine to tackle the global virus. Kate's work will be critical. She's an excellent track record in the biotech industry and brings vast experience working with drugs and therapeutic discoveries, which gives us a head start in finding and manufacturing a COVID-19 vaccine. So this wonderful woman who's going to lead us is already warning that, well, actually, we're just going to deal with the symptoms. And uh, back to the government, uh, because here she's quoted, as, uh, or it's quoted that she's temporarily stepping back from her full-time role as managing partner at SV Health Investors, 
a leading international life sciences venture capital firm. So a hedge fund. It's a hedge fund. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, you're in there straight away because here it is investing in tomorrow's healthcare breakthroughs. This is about making money out of people suffering. Yeah. Is what this is to do with. And I went on the website. I can't see any sign of her stepping back because they've got a huge advert for her still there as one of the working directors. So no mention of her stepping back. But they go on to say that aside from her immense biotech connections, Miss Bingham also works with the Dementia Discovery Fund, a 250 million specialist venture capital fund that invests in new dementias related to bio, uh, sorry, new dementias related biotech companies. And if you go and have a look at who's involved, well, very quickly up comes our old friend Bill Gates. And why should we be interested? Well, because Bill Gates is there amongst it. So. This is a quote for, from Kate Bingham speaking as managing partner of SV Health. And she's talking about the Dementia Delivery Fund. We welcome Bill Gates' involvement as we collaborate to solve one of the biggest issues in global healthcare. We look forward to the growing deal flow. That's talking about money and profit, the growing deal flow and next stages development in the companies that the fund supports. And so there's a nice little connection through to a cosy relationship with uh, Bill Gates. But of course, back in May, the government itself was uh, boasting that the prime minister had spoken to Bill and Melinda Gates via a video call, joined by Kate Bingham, chair of the UK's vaccine task force. So we don't know what the vaccine's going to do. We haven't actually got any, but we've signed a contract for delivery of a vaccine which at its best may deal with the symptoms. Mm. It's not even funny this is so dangerous. Uh, who are these people alongside health and government? Uh, absolutely. Now, other matters. Uh, this is the Ofcom website. Of course, Ofcom regulates uh, uh, broadcast TV, uh, but they have been trying for many, many years to be able to regulate uh, the internet as well, uh, initially through their uh, side organization called ATVOD, the Authority for Television on Demand, uh, which disappeared not long after uh, they attempted to uh, regulate the UK column. Uh, it didn't work out well for them. Uh, but anyway, this is a call for evidence, video sharing platform uh, regulation. We're seeking uh, evidence and information related to the new requirements that will apply to video sharing platforms. They say video sharing platforms are a type of online video service where users can upload and share videos. VSPs allow users to engage with a wide range of content and social features that are particularly popular amongst young people. 90% of adults and 98% of children aged 8 to 15 who use the internet have used a VSP in the past year. Of course, the most famous VSP is YouTube. So the question is, uh, are they going to attempt to regulate YouTube? Well, what it says here uh, is this Ofcom will be given new powers this autumn to regulate UK established VSPs. I thought that was quite an interesting uh, statement there because it's, it's qualified by the term UK established. So I asked Ofcom this morning, and they were very helpful, thank you very much to them, but I asked them what, what that meant. Uh, and the answer came back as follows. Uh, the EU's revised audiovisual media services directive sets out the criteria for determining jurisdiction of VSPs. As with on-demand and linear TV services, this is usually the member state in which the service has its European headquarters. The UK government has committed to transposing EU legislation during the Brexit transition period. Well, that's absolutely true. We've talked about it on this programme many, many times. 
Uh, but of course, the transition period ends at the end of this year. So my question then was, uh, well, does it still apply after that? But just before we answer that question, uh, just look at what that says there. This is usually the member state, so the, the state which has jurisdiction over a VSP, in this case we're talking about YouTube as an example, is the member state in which the service has its European headquarters. Well, YouTube's European headquarters uh, are in Dublin, um, and so therefore the Republic of Ireland would have jurisdiction. So should we be concerned that uh, Ofcom is going to be regulating uh, YouTube videos that are based in the UK? Um, well, I asked them about this uh, and they said that under the terms of the EU withdrawal agreement, the UK is required to implement the revised uh, directive, uh, EU directive, and its implementation date is, therefore, is before the end of the transition period. Uh, and they said that they were expecting this to still be the case following the transition period, but they went on to say this. The legislation in the form of regulation, so it won't be an act of parliament, it'll be uh, uh, re you know, uh, secondary legislation, uh, will be retained in UK law following the end of Brexit transition period via new provisions in the Communications Act 2003. Um, so that'll be a statutory instrument. This means that the VSP regulatory framework will continue to apply from January, January 2021. But here's, here's the key point. However, the government has also stated its intention for VSP regulation in the UK to be superseded by the Online Harms Bill when that comes into force. So it's still a bit unclear, David, what's going on here. Uh, Google and YouTube, YouTube being the biggest uh, of these organizations, these video sharing platforms, uh, would be regulated by the Republic of Ireland under these uh, EU directives um, because that's where their European headquarters is. But it seems to be what this is saying is that once the Online Harms Bill becomes the Online Harms Act, that that would supersede that uh, piece of uh, that, those regulations. And therefore, uh, the UK might be claiming the ability to regulate YouTube, despite the fact that the directive says otherwise. Would it help, Mike, I wonder, if there's lots of YouTube videos made that blame the Russians for both um both the failure of the uh, Scottish independence movement uh, and any successes that it has? Uh, well, it might. Be because <laughs> you know, they're, they're saying that, well, we might be regulating something in some sort of way and it's, 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 it's completely unclear. But uh, what's driving this? It's, it's been driven by, by political motivation, by the desire to control ideas. And uh, it would seem to me that uh, it, the, the path it will take will depend upon the ideas and how much and how desperately they want to silence them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now, look, we're mm -hmm. over time, but we let's just let's just run through the last couple of items here, David. Uh, Seventy-five percent of children who received vaccines in Mexican town now dead or hospitalised. Yeah, this has come from Natural News, a site I've I've uh, grown to like and trust, and uh, I've just tried to that I would tweet this out. Only I couldn't. Um, something went wrong, it said, but don't fret, give it another shot. Well, it didn't matter because uh, Twitter said we can't complete this request because this link has been identified by Twitter or our partners as being potentially harmful, potentially harmful. But the story that it's reporting is true. Even CNN, hardly someone at the same with the same political viewpoint as Natural News, even CNN reported that CNN Mexico 
reported that two babies died and dozens were hospitalized after vaccinations in southern Mexico. So this is real news about actual vaccine injuries, but Twitter are censoring it. That's not all the censoring. Um, we've got here a report, a bombshell as flu shots found to cause a huge increase in coronavirus uh, infections. Now, that's kind of vital information. Uh, the, the report reads, children who are vaccinated with flu shots have a 440% increase in the risk of uh, contracting other respiratory infections, such as coronavirus. Researchers have found in a research paper. That was also banned. I couldn't tweet that one either. That was also banned by Twitter. Now, it's reporting on a, on a paper, and I've, I've, I've cut and pasted the, the title and abstract from that paper uh, onto the slide here. So you see it's a, it's a, it's a uh, research paper. They talk about randomized 100, um, 150 children um, to uh, trivalent in, inactivated influenza vaccine or placebo. Over the following nine months, uh, they, they studied the effects and they found that uh, they were they were protected. The, the ones with the with the uh, influenza uh, vaccine were protected against influenza, um, but they seemed to lack temporary non-specific immunity that protected them against other respiratory viruses. And they did, in fact, um, report a four four and a half fold increase in infections with other respiratory viruses. Now, bearing in mind we are meant to be in the middle of a COVID a coronavirus pandemic, we're meant to be terrified about the dangers of a second wave, and we're also about to be told everyone to get the flu shot. That's vital information, and it's medical research, but Twitter doesn't want you to know. No, uh, and indeed, this is uh, mm. the, 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 the medics that are advising us on this. This is something that they've been pushing extremely hard, uh, that that, that Taking a vaccine for one thing will amplify uh, the effects of another strain yeah. or, or a completely different virus uh, that, that's related. Um, and so they're making the point about how dangerous it is. Uh, well, look, we're just about out of time. So let me just uh, let me just end with this one. Here is uh, Robert Buckland, the Lord Chancellor, uh, and he's talking about uh, Nightingale Courts. Now, they've established 10 Nightingale Courts in the country. Uh, we'll all be delighted to know. Now, what are these? Well, of course, the Nightingale hospitals were created and never used uh, in order to deal with the, uh, the huge queues in the hospitals that, were, that actually never appeared. But in fact, there are queues in the court system. So that what they've decided to do is to create Nightingale courts. They're going to use non-court buildings for court hearings. Uh, and uh, so Middlesbrough Town Hall, for example, uh, the Knights Chamber within the grounds of Peterborough Cathedral, uh, and the Ministry of Justice's headquarters in London are among the venues that are going to be used uh, because they need to uh, to get rid of this backlog. Uh, do you think that's appropriate, David? Well, it certainly seems to come with risks. I mean, we're, we're I assume, not talking about jury trials. Um, we won't have, for example, audio recording systems. So the amount of information that we gather about what happens in these trials will be less. Um, I, I find the whole thing of irregular and uh, rushed justice uh, makes me a little bit nervous. Absolutely. Right. Yeah.
uh, I just get a creepy feeling out of the the name you call it something that's got a connotation for good work being yes. done Florence Nightingale so you pick that up and you're actually doing something dangerous and destructive yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll leave it there well over for time today but it's in indicative of how serious things are getting in the UK um, thank you to all our viewers and listeners. Um, we're seeing an increase in people now contacting their MPs and or organisations to challenge them as to what's going on. This is really excellent. We encourage you to keep doing it. Don't be put off by fob-off replies. Fob-off replies really show that you're on the right track. So more of it and get some friends to help. Uh, and we just uh, should put this up. We are going to be having, uh, having a discussion, David, on uh, uh, News Extra in a few minutes. Uh, Black Labs Matter? Black Labs Matter, yes. And if people have been following the news this week, they'll know what we're going to be talking about. Uh, this is Guy Gibson and his dog and the dog's grave. More on that later. Okay. Incredible. Okay. That's it for today. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.